speak tomorrow night. And again, all I want to do is have a conversation. I can't have a conversation with you if we're both talking at the same time. What it sounds like to me is that you're accusing me of violence and supporting something, a narrative that I'm not necessarily in support of. And if you're, if that's what you're accusing me of violence, then you can leave. That's not true. I don't support violence of any type against police officers, against anyone. So if you're accusing me of that, then you're welcome to leave. But if you want to have a conversation, I am more than willing to welcome a conversation with you. I don't disagree with you about there is a narrative across the country that could be harming uh, police officers. But we don't know right now as someone who's in law enforcement, if that was the actual cause of it. Go ahead. Let me ask you this. Do we know that, the, that generally the American law enforcement officers are racist? Do we know this? Go on. I ask a is question. That, is that a, is that a, do I know American general law enforcement are racist? Yeah. I don't think anyone is accusing. If you're, if you're insinuating that people are accusing or saying that law enforcement across this country as a whole are racist, then your assumption is wrong. First I, of all, this whole anti-police rhetoric is based on a lie. There is no data, and you know this, there is no data, there is no research that proves any of that nonsense. None. Even it, you'd have to be more specific about what data and what nonsense you're talking about. That law enforcement officers treat black males different than white males in policing in these urban there centers. There is data that supports. There is not data. No, the the president the president spoke about it. Cedric Alexander, the who president is a law has been officer. lying about it. He said it again the other day when he said black males are. Two times more likely to be shot by a law enforcement officer than white male. Don, that is a lie. That is not a lie. It the is a lie. Yes. Show me the research. Show that, me the research. Show that it we to me. Have, that we have from the Washington Post. That that the Washington Post study debunked that nonsense. There's also research. He also said Sheriff, this time. There's also research. He from continues. A Harvard professor that also showed that black people are treated more aggressively by police officers No, you are other wrong people. in your interpretation of that Harvard study because I read the study. That's not what he said. He that said he was surprised to find He was surprised there, to find that in shootings of the, of the most severe in shootings that he found no evidence that there was a difference. Also, it should be noted... Good morning. That study I'm Shafiq Abdusabar, and today is Wednesday, man. July 20, 2016. And this is Urban Talk Radio 103.5. WNHHLP, where you will hear conversation, information, education, inspiration, motivation from the American urban perspective. Urban Talk Radio is now being simulcast on New Orleans Talk Radio, NOTN, an interactive media website that features 24-hour radio, video streams, articles, blogs, and information on social living and current news. Today, we will continue our series solving problems with bullets instead of guns. More than 250 people have been fatally shot by police officers in the first three months of 2016. And in 2015, the Washington Post found that more than two times the previous reported number of fatal shootings. They also reported that African-American males are five times more likely to be shot than white males when unarmed by police officers. Today on Urban Talk Radio, you'll be able to join our conversation on Facebook at Bold Minds and Twitter at Bold Minds. In the studio today, I have with me Reverend Dr. Boise Kimber. He's a 
community advocate, serving as a reverend for 42 years. He's African-American and born of Alabama. Also in the studio, I will have Douglas Pathia, community advocate, and also uh, Dougie has a very long-standing working relationship with youth in the community. And what we want to do today, which seems to be uh, last week when we were on the show, we had just came off the week of the deadly shooting of five police officers who were fatally shot and killed in New Orleans, in the, uh, Dallas, as well as additional officers who were also injured. And then prior to that, we know we had the two fatal shootings of two unarmed black men, one in Minnesota and the other took place in Baton Rouge. And now we sit here Wednesday, seven days later, and yet on the wake of another deadly police shooting in which a allegedly a black man shot and killed three police officers in Baton Rouge. So Dr. Kimber, you know, you're a black man in America. You serve black people in representation at the national level. You've also worked at grassroots. You continue to work as at grassroots. I mean, what is your perspective on really what's going on out here? Thank you very much, uh, Shafiq, for inviting me to uh, come in and share with you uh, this morning on the wake and heels of what is happening in America today in reference to uh, the the violence, the uh, police shooting of unarmed uh, African-American uh, men and the, the shooting of uh, police officers. Uh, I think the question uh, goes, uh, what, what shall we do? And how shall uh, we deal uh, with this uh, situation in America today? I think that the, the hype as we uh, move forward in this uh, presidential election, and that uh, a lot of uh, racism is being spewed out among the American people, and that uh, there are those who uh, refuse to uh, be less than who they are and less than what they represent. And uh, they are saying that uh, we are sick and tired uh, of, of the police brutality that happens in our community. But at this present time, uh, we see what is happening. Uh, we get an eye view uh from cameras in reference to what is happening. And so it is, it is not, it is, it, it is wrong on both ends, but I do not want to minimize the fact of unarmed African-Americans are being killed. I do not want to minimize the fact that uh, officers are being killed also. So how do we uh, come to, a medium here and how do we come together as a people? And so that is the, probably the most profound question that we need to somewhat try to answer. Now, normally, you know, in, in my hit historic research of the African-American community, the leadership, right? So we've come out of this history of slavery and oppression and, you know, we were freed emancipation proclamation 
And then you had the pre-civil rights movement. You had a post-civil rights movement. And in all of those instances, America documents the church, the clergy, black leadership normally historically has set with reverence, clergy, um, people, spiritual advisors, if you will, of black people. This is what normally the uh, white community or infrastructure has come to. Hey, listen, how can we work this out? And I think that was really brought to head with Martin Luther King, who was a reverend. And that seemed to have worked for the most part. It seemed, it seemed if we look back, that at some point during the civil rights movement, it had the potential to turn violent. And Martin Luther King said, no, this is not going to be about violence. And he brought in the peace movement and the nonviolent movement. That seemed to work. That seemed to work its way with people. It seems now a new trend is coming forward. So there's the Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Matter has not really said they want things, but they want the they want the shootings of unarmed black men to stop. But beyond that, there's been nothing else in terms of requests. And it seems that the, the church and some of the reverends are struggling to try to sit people down and have that conversation. I, I, I draw you back to the Baltimore riots that just happened, I believe it was last year, where uh, in the death of Freddie Gray, the black powerful politicians had to sit down with gang leaders to get the gang leaders to broker a deal. What What is going to be the way we begin to address this? I think we got to, uh, one, we got to deal with legislation here. Um, there got to be more rules and regulations uh on the table when it, it comes to uh, violence within uh, our communities, and not only our community, but the white community also. Uh, there has to be some gun control here uh, on the, the civilian and also the training on the, uh, the police side. You know, I mean, 50 years, you know, 52, 53 years after the you know, the uh, march on Washington, and we talk about the uh, nonviolence. It's a different crew out here now. It's a different people out here now. And it's a people who, who is saying that we are, you know, we are sick and tired and that we're not going to uh, take this any longer. And they are, and they, and, 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 and they are in pain. And they are they are they are, they are, they are hurt. There is this trauma uh, out here, and and so we, we got to deal with it um, and call it what it is. Uh, it what is, is it? it? Well, it is not. It is. It is. It is. In some instances, what we have seen, it is not uh, black police officers killing uh, black civilians. It is white police officers killing uh, black civilians. And now the trend is that uh, there are, uh, there have been identified uh, two African-Americans that have uh, killed police officers. I, I certainly, I certainly sympathize with police officers, but I certainly sympathize with 
um, uh, innocent individuals. Uh, you, 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 you look at, um, uh, the individual in Minnesota and you, 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 you view that tape, man. How many times have you seen that tape? Oh man, I, uh, you know, it's in my mind. I've saw it a couple of times, but it keeps, uh, playing in my mind that, uh, an officer would, uh, kill, uh, an unarmed individual who has a, uh, license to uh, carry, who said that he was carrying, and his girlfriend and his um, daughter, baby daughter, is in the car. I mean, I mean, I mean, you don't get no worse than that. You don't get any worse than uh, uh, the fact that uh, Sterling is on his back and someone shouts "gun" and 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 he's 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 killed with four bullets in him. You, you don't get that with Trayvon Martin, uh, 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 Eric Gardner, and, and and the list goes on. So, are, so are you saying that in the past, you know, we've had the uh, Ferguson shooting, Ferguson shooting, yes. there was really no video. Um, then the Walker video of uh, the shooting of of Walker in South Carolina, there was video, but it it wasn't as uh, HD, if we call it, wasn't HD video. Yeah, it was enough to right. to show us that uh, an unarmed man is running uh, because of a motor vehicle uh, stop, and he's running away from the cop, and the cop takes uh, takes out his gun and he he shoots the individual. Uh, so so uh, you know, two wrongs doesn't make a right, and it ain't it, ain't, it is not right to. Um, uh, kill innocent civilians, and it's not right for civilians to kill innocent innocent officers. So, w- where is the medium here? How do we how do we deal uh, with this? Uh, in this city of New Haven, we talk about uh, uh, community based policing, and, and and we meet with the uh, clergy, meet with uh, the, uh, the police department once once a month. To, to talk about how we deal with issues and, and 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 what we do, how do we do it? How do we bridge this gap? How do we have uh, better communication uh, with with the police? Uh, and how do police officers have better communication in the district in which they patrol? Uh, so so when we talk about community based policing, we're talking about individuals who really want to understand the community in which they patrol. So, so, so I think we gotta, uh, we, we gotta lift community based policing with, uh, w- with a level of, uh, uh, understanding what the community is about and that clergy has to take, uh, a, a top role in, 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 in helping, uh, to police our community. You know, back in the day we had police, uh, uh, um, community based policing, uh, the police officers, uh, some of them lived in the community, and they understood the individuals. We had no problem. They had no problems getting information when somebody had um, uh, done something. But now you, you you got all of these officers who come into the city, who live outside the city, who do not interact with African-Americans and Hispanics until they come in the city and they stop them. So uh, I mean, it, it's 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 gotta. If you're gonna work in the inner city, 
uh, then you ought to live in the inner city when you're patrolling our communities. If you're just joining us today on Urban Talk Radio, we're talking about the topic, solving problems with bullets instead of guns. You can join the conversation on Facebook at Bow Minds and Twitter at Bow Minds. You can also stream this show live on your smartphone or computer by logging on to newhavenindependent.org. Remember, Urban Talk Radio is now being simulcast on New Orleans Talk Radio, N-O-T-N, an interactive media website that features 24-hour radio, video streams, articles, blogs, and information on social living and current news issues. Joining us now in the studio also is Douglas Bathia. Douglas Bathia is a longtime community activist and advocate in the city, and he's worked exclusively with youth for over 20 years. And um, I asked Doug to be on the show today because what's really, I think, uh, an interesting feature for Douglas, and he's been on our show before, is that his son was shot and killed in the inner city um, by gentlemen that he actually hung out with. And it was people that both Dougie and I knew. So, uh, you know, here's a situation that is starting that next level of conversation that is taking place in America, which is on one hand, people are saying, well, police are shooting unarmed black men. And, you know, then someone's coming back and saying, well, in the same time, while police shot five unarmed black men in the course of seven days, you know, a hundred black men were shot in various parts of other cities and nobody protests and nobody marched. And so then it comes into the different conversation of who can have that conversation, who's authorized to criticize black crime, who's authorized to criticize uh, police related shootings. So I wanted to get your perspective in terms of, you know, you're, you're dealing with an issue every day, every day, somebody's getting shot and killed in the news. That's a black man. Um, and by another black man and, you know, the mass shootings come. So you as a father, as a, as a surviving father of a young man to gun violence and as a surviving father still of a son who's out there, um, and interacting with the community, interacting with, um, different segments of the population. What is your feeling around all this? First of all, good morning. Um, first of all, let me answer the second part of your question. Who should be able to question the police shooting right. black men and black men being shot and killed by police? First of all, I think it should be people that's out there in the community that's doing the kind of work that I'm doing. Okay, we can't have people that's sitting on the porch. We can't have people that's in the office, not out there in the community, hands-on with these kids and these young men that's going through this who may be the next victim of a police shooting. But should be, let me just say this. And no kid, nobody should be shot and killed in inner-city violence. No cop should be targeted and shot down. Cops have a job to do. But we as a black community, and let's just keep it 100, if we don't respect ourselves, how are we? How in the world are we going to sit here and expect officers or, or anybody else that don't live in New Haven, Connecticut, or don't live in the black community to come in and, and, and respect us? If we sit here and we walk around with our pants hanging down, if we sit here killing each other, we killing each other. So as a, let's say it was a black officer that pulled the gun and, and shot a, a, a young man. 
If we sitting here killing each other, that means we don't respect our own lives. So how in the world can we sit here and expect anybody else to respect us? As black leaders in the community, we need to teach our men first, our young men first, how to respect each other, how to how to care about each other's lives, and and then make it start making a difference from there. Now all the shooting that's going on in in New Orleans and and, and the ones that happened in Ferguson, wrong. Like 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 we said, we see the video, it's wrong. But somebody called and said, "There's a man with a gun." Okay, a man with a gun with a red shirt on. You're a police officer. Put you're a police officer. You get that call. You're responding to that call. You approach a man with a red T-shirt on, blue jeans, whatever kind of sneakers they said they had on. This man is uncooperative. Now, keep in the back of your mind that you got a family to go home to. He's not cooperating with you. You have a job to do to protect the rest of the community from him. So then it goes to the next level. And it's then it turned, it turned ugly and it turned dangerous. And, and sadly, he lost his life. But we as a black people, man, we, listen, we come in third-class citizens in our own country. We don't own no stores. We don't own no, no Dunkin' Donuts. They're taking over the McDonald's. If they take over Popeye, I'm going to stop eating chicken. <laughs> nah, really. You got leadership in New Haven, Connecticut that can get the thing, like the two young men you got right here. I'm, I'm young. And Bishop's young, too. And... They'll go outside to another city to find somebody to come in here and do training, to come in here and, and, and do lectures. You got that training right here that we can sit here and tell you what our black young men need. So what do they need, Dougie? Tell, tell us. Tell us what do they need. Black, these black young men today, one, need somebody that care about them, a system that care about them, leadership that care about them. What's the system? What kind of system? The system is the prison system, the court system. How do you go to court? Let me ask you a question. How do you go to court? At t- they said, your lawyer tell you to be there at 10 o'clock. You get there at 10 o'clock, he tell you, as soon as you walk in the cross, oh, you ain't got to stay, come back. I already spoke to the prosecutor and the judge. That's not his case. It's your case. You want to be involved in that. So the system is already against us. So we have to teach our kids, okay, listen, you already got two strikes. You get one more strike, you out. So teach our kids, listen, learn how to deal with police and teach police how to learn how to deal with us. Like the bishop said, we need people... In New Haven, as police, we got one black police officer, one black recruit at the police academy. How is that explainable? How is that acceptable? But here's the question, and I'll I'll go back to you, Reverend, because you've said on uh, public safety commissions and different things. And I've heard the conversation today a little bit about, you know, well, we need police officers from our community and we need, um, you know, African, more African-American police officers. And, you know, as a black man, we all know that in black America, we have a 500-year-old problem. And one of those problems often is not discussed publicly. One is black people and the issues and the divisions we as black people have in our own black community. We still have internal racism, dark skin versus light skin. We still have who was born in the projects and who was born across the street from the projects, even though your mama and your father actually lived in the projects. We have who's on Section 8 and who's not on Section 8. And so we still struggle with with just that in our own community 
when we talk about that. We know that there's black people who we say he don't look black. They don't act black. So black does not necessarily mean you're going to get a certified black person who's cultured, who understands the issues of African-American, the plights, the struggle, who knows the eyes on the prize and who's going to be out there saying, hi, I'm police officer, black man. I came here to help my people. You could just get a, a guy that is just black on the outside and still exhibit the same implicit biases that is often assumed by a non-black officer. And sometimes you can also find non-black officers who will come across even more compassionate than the African-American officer. So let, let me, let me, let me, let me raise this. Uh, th- there is no way that uh, in this city that uh, you can have a police academy. And I've been fighting this and fighting this with one black in it. There ought to be a uh, more than Dougie, more than myself, crying out to this community, crying out to the leadership uh, that, uh, that we taxpayers fund these academies. I was taken to, as, as, as a fire commissioner here in this city for nine years, I was taken to the Supreme Court when I did not promote 19 whites and one Hispanic. I lost a case in Supreme Court. There were other states like New York, like uh, Cleveland, Chicago, who won their case. So it goes back to who is fighting for us besides us. And so uh, we, we, our legislators have got to take a more proactive stand and, 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 and looking at who is hired to protect us from, uh, uh, the burning homes to policing our community. They say, okay, we're going to give people a psychological exam, a lie detector test before they could come on to uh, the police department. You mean to tell me you can't detect racism in a psychological examination, but you can detect a person who admits that they have uh, smoke marijuana and you dismiss an individual of that nature. The, 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 the process, we got to look at the process. We got to look at the, the um, uh, examination. I am not saying that all police officers are racist are bad. I am not saying that all of uh, African-Americans or Hispanics in our community are bad. Uh, we all got some problems. But when you when you when you when you are sworn in as an officer to protect the community and 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 and, and certainly protect yourself, but you are a police officer. Your training, uh, your, your your training is 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 taught in different ways. You, you your train is shoot to kill. We got to look at all of that. 
uh, uh, innocent, innocent. There, there are other ways that we can deal uh, uh, with the shootings and the killings. I, I don't, I don't want to talk about the fact of um, how many blacks are being killed, how many black on black. Uh, you know, that's been going on uh, for 400 years. You know, uh, uh, the white man taught us to uh, not like each other. And they continue to teach that kind of teaching uh, in, 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 in the structure of our society. Let's, let's deal with this individual because he, he came from a, a, a middle-class family. Um, uh, Juneborg, you know, came from the project. We, we allow them to play those games with us. And we cannot allow them those games to be uh, uh, played. So I, I suggest that one that we've got to do different training in the police academy. Uh, we we, we got to talk about racism in the academy, uh, whether it's the fire department, whether it's the police department. Uh, we got to talk about it. You, you you can't you cannot patrol a black community with just white police officers. It ain't going to work this day and time. Well, okay. well to add on to that, um, first of all, I think the New Haven, the New Haven uh, Police Department, I think we have a very fine police department. I think we do have some good leadership in there, and I think we have some shaky leadership in there. Let's just call it like it is. Um, I don't see us having any of these type of shootings in New Haven uh, by police officers killing a, a black man or a white man or a Hispanic man, but it goes back to the training. We have to you can you can start this training right in the academy. Um, how do you deal with this situation? I mean, you got all this stuff on your, your utility belt, and the first thing you do when a person has a gun is pull your gun. I know. You- so, so you know what's really interesting as I'm as I'm listening to both of you. I mean, both of you agree, at least here. I mean, we can you can look at all of Connecticut actually. Uh, Connecticut has a very low rate of shooting of of unarmed black men by police officers, white, black, or Hispanic. But Reverend, you're at a national level. Uh, Dougie, you're at a national level representing youth. You take them all around the country two, three times a year. It's a different states. You interact with other people from around the country. What's really interesting is I'm hearing from both of you, we need this standard, we need this kind of standard. And I totally agree with you. I think that that standard, really should come from the Justice Department and what the Justice Department um, would like to, you know, would, would it would be behoove them to create a national police model that has a standard, you know, and the standard is, you know, people say and use the terms community-based police and they pop up. They've even popped up in some of these cities where you've had these fatal shootings and they come out and say, well, we're a community-based police department and, um, you know, you often see the African-American spokesperson in front of the camera. And then after that, when it starts getting more in depth into the longer conversations, all of the African-American leadership in that department seem to be non-existent or it starts to fade out. So we know that they're struggling with some aspect of community-based policing. And if you go to most departments all around the country, every department has a different uh, definition for what community-based policing actually really is. And the way you're describing it is also different from the way they might describe it. So it might be a good time at the national level to have a conversation and say, 
if you want to consider yourself a community-based police department in America, you need to look like this. This is your criterion. Mm-hmm. You need to have a clergy association in partnership mm-hmm. with uh, the police department. You need mm-hmm. to have a youth representative from the urban community attached with the police department. Mm-hmm. You need to show this type of training and this training needs to be somewhat authorized by the community in terms of dealing with black people or dealing with the specific people of that, of that community, because really without that, what you have is a really great um, conversation and a lot of good positive energy, let's say on this side of the country in Connecticut, you know, you'll have that and the brethren and you, but then on the other end of our listening ship in New Orleans and in the Baton Rouge area right now, that community is suffering and because they are. might be trying to figure out, you know, what's going next. So this is what I, so, so as we sit here on this side in Connecticut and we're talking about an issue that's actually affecting our listenership in New Orleans, I want to turn our, the last part of our conversation to you speaking to that listening ship and saying to them, you know, what are their next? What can you do? They've got police shooting unarmed men, unarmed black men, and now they have armed black men killing police. So, in that mix, there's a common bond. There's there's police shooting unarmed black men, and now there's black men arming themselves, killing the police. And then the undertone of that still is there's still a wave of black men killing black men. So take, take, take the third part out, black men killing black men. The, the, issue, the issue in America today is not black men killing black men. The issue that we are facing right now is that the police officers are killing unarmed African American men, and then that there there are there have been two African American men who have killed police officers. So what, what? Where are we? On one end, on one end, the African American community is sick and tired of their uh, uh, our black young men being killed by those who are to protect us. On the other end, there, 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 there is this uh, struggle with the police department uh, versus uh, two uh, African Americans killing pol- police officers. Look, this community one sympathizes on both sides, but you got to understand that uh, this ain't the fifties no more. And that people are not going to just sit back and allow our men to uh, uh, to be killed uh, for little or nothing. And that there will not be any retaliation. Uh, there will not be any protest. Uh, there will not be anyone speaking out against the violence within uh, what is happening within our community. And, 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 and so, I mean, there is this frustration yeah, we we got we have pain in we got pain in the valley in our community. How do we fix that? Well, can it be fixed? This the way we are now, and the way people are saying 
white people are saying we're going to take back America. How do you how, how you going to take something that ain't yours? How you going to take something that you did not even build? But you're going to take it back. And so that sits off uh, an alarm that sits off somewhat of a time bomb that you're going to take back America. And you're referring to what President Obama gave in his uh, address to the nation. I think earlier this week he was talking about during this campaign season, you know, the political folks got to just bring it back. The Donald Trump campaign, all of the the hype around that. Are you referring to that? but, But that's the feeling. That's the feeling that is going around this country, man. That, and, and, and that's and that's what that's uh, black folks ain't talking about taking back America. We're trying to say, how can we advance? How can we work together for the good of all people? But you got a crowd of people who are saying, let's take back America. This is this we we've lost America, and 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 and, and that spews out racism. They never said let's take back America when the George senior and junior was there. They never said, let's take back America. They never said, let's take back America. When Bill Clinton was there, they never said it about uh, Gerald Ford or Richard Nixon. They never said it about them, but they said about let's take back America because there's a black man sitting in the white house on Pennsylvania Avenue. Let's, let's take it. Let's take what they're saying is let's take the white house back is ours. Well, Shafiq, let me jump in. Um, me, a matter of fact, me and my kids are going uh, August 12th to the 19th, August 12th to the 19th, down to New Orleans, Louisiana, for the uh, Elks Drill Team National Championship. And uh, one thing I plan on doing with a couple of my uh, directors and adults is uh, visiting uh, the police department down there and having some trying to have some conversations with them. Still goes back to this, and, and we got the right to differ of, of opinions until black people learn to make the people in society or the leadership in their city or their state respect us, we still going to have this problem. Now, what I think we can do is it can be a big conference where somebody from every state, like you have a, a clergy, a youth leader, go to a conference and say, listen, this is my idea. This is my idea. Put it all in the pot and let's see how we work it out. But we're still, and I'm sitting there saying, we're still going to have this same problem the next month or even after the conference. Black people, we have to stand up and say, okay, listen, I'm going to carry myself this way. I got a son right now who's, 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 facing, um, some hard, who's facing some hard situations, some hard times, and I tell him every single day, every single day, you got to carry yourself with respect. If I'm a police officer, I'm going to be strictly honest with you. And I worked in the city of New Haven, and I had to go get a call about a person with a gun. In my back of my mind, I'm going home to my family. I mean, that's just reality. And I say it now. When I get off of work from the ambulance or doing street outreach work, the best time of my, my day is when I can get in the house at 9 o'clock, sit on my couch, know all my kids. I cook food, dinner for my kids, and we're in the house and we're sleeping. And I ask God to protect us from all her harm and danger while we sleep in slumber. And that's what I do. But until we as black people sit here and demand respect, something can't ask. Like he said, this ain't the 50s. Demand respect. And let them see that we serious about it. Then I think we'll get some results. 
Yes, it's not the 50s and 60s where people go, oh, they, they shooting and killing us. Oh, let's be quiet. Let's be quiet. You see it. They, now you're standing up for something. Now you, now you, hey, enough is enough. We ain't singing, we shall overcome no more. We singing, we gonna overcome and we ain't gonna take this no more. But neither side is right. We gotta come together and say, how do we fix this problem? And let's fix this problem together. Last thing, you're a police officer. You are community policing. You just got appointed to the toughest district in this city. I went to a basketball tournament on Sunday. The atmosphere is different. So why not have Shafiq Abdul-Sabar come in, do some type of training with the officers and teach them how to, I mean, I've seen people that don't like police talking to you. I deal with the, I deal with the knuckleheads every day. <laughs> I've seen them talking to you. Listen, Officer Shafiq, give me a Gatorade. You got Gatorade in your trunk of your car? You got water in the trunk of your car? So we don't need to bring nobody else from out of town. Let's sit down with Officer Shafiq and find out what's going on. Yeah, Shafiq may have some little little problems back in his history, but he's doing something right to be able to go into New Hallville. Only been there for, what, three weeks? Yeah. And you see the difference. That last year, not no problem with the other officers. Last year we had shootings at the basketball tournament. You had a lot of problem fights and stuff. This tournament, knock on board, praise God, has been going on without a hitch, and you see the people interacting with you. And it's like a totally different atmosphere. I'm be honest with you. I don't really frequent that area, but I was out there and I felt very comfortable being in that area and being around people in the community. So let's sit down with the Reverend, you, and some other people and say, let's try these things. Let's try these things right here and see how we can make it work. Dougie, you're generous. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just being real. Dougie, you're generous. Uh, we're going to wrap the show up. The, my producer's giving me the hand. She, I don't know if it's a high five. You want a high five? Listen, obviously, as three black men sitting here this morning, um, this is a very painful topic. I can tell you, as a, as a, as a father, as a black man, as a 20-year-plus police officer, a Muslim, um, this is a very, very painful topic. And, you know, I sit in a, in, a, in a place where I have to hear all sides and try to feel all sides. I know this, and we've worked with this issue about gun violence uh, for a long time, is that it's always painful, first of all, as a black man, to see another black man get killed under any circumstances. That's mm-hmm. painful. And the fact that you feel pain means that, you know, there's something in you, the spirit, that it, it doesn't sit well, and that causes you to think we need to be doing something different. The question becomes that what we're doing different, that action that we're taking, is it the right action? And so, you know, I'm going to close the show today by saying, you know, on both sides, there needs to be action. And we've gotten to a place in America where folks want to leave God out of the equation. They don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about, we say morality, but we don't really put the, 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 the religion or the spirit or the way of life or the, the hereafter and so forth. But one thing is for sure, when black men die, they normally get buried in the church and there's normally a reverend there. There's something spiritual. When police die. There's normally a reverend there or somebody in the church is spiritual. What must happen is 
we've got to make sure that everybody's actions that they're doing in this life will benefit them in the next. And I think that has to be the true measurement of, of any movement, of whatever the change is, whether it's on the police side or the community side. We can't have police officers using their measurement of morality to be a whimsical um, display of their discretion. That discretion must be rooted in religion. It must be rooted in some form of morality connecting them to what would, what would God say, you know, and for our black people out there, those angry black brothers, those who are upset, who are sitting home and they're thinking about what I'm going to do next. You know, you have to be thinking about how your actions are going to impact those who you leave behind and those who you might take the life of. So um, I thank both of you gentlemen for joining me today on urban talk radio. And if you've just joined the show today late, um, we were talking about the topic of solving problems with bullets instead of words. And remember that urban talk radio airs every Wednesday at 9 a.m. on New Haven Independent dot org 103.5 WNAH LP and Urban Talk Radio New Orleans is now being simulcast on New Orleans Talk Radio Network NOT and an interactive media website that features 24 hour radio, video streams, articles, blogs, and information, social living, and current news. Gentlemen, thank you, Reverend Dr. Boise Kimber. Thank you for joining thank us you. today. And Dougie Bathia, thank you again for thank joining you, us. And um, have a safe trip down to New Orleans. And to our listeners in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, we send a prayer out to the families there of the fallen officers as well as the uh, young man down there that was shot and killed as well. And we ask that you all just try to come together and uh, connect. Connect with some of your national leaders around the country and some of your, your broader community and try to sit down and have a good positive dialogue. God bless.